Well, good morning, New Hope. It is always a pleasure to share with you what I feel God has put in my heart for you this week. And I just want to start by a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for every single person seated here today who's come here expecting to hear from your word. And I pray that today that you would lift their level of faith and their expectation that they may go from here stronger. I also pray for those who are on holiday today. I pray for the mums who are raising children by themselves. I pray that Lord you'd strengthen them. Give them a chance to catch their breath. Strengthen them physically and strengthen them emotionally and especially Lord, we pray that you would strengthen them spiritually. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. Do you realise the first term's over? 265 days to Christmas. (laughs) And the end of the year is coming very quickly. But I want to pray for you, and I have been praying for you, that you will grow. Just like my kids have got a vegetable garden at the bottom. They've been furiously planting for the last little while. The seeds have been planted and it looks like a forest down there. Growth has happened. And every father wants his children to grow physically, relationally, mentally, spiritually. And my prayer for you is that you would grow this year. Not stagnate, not be dwarfed, not be a bonsai, but you would grow strong, especially throughout this year. So today, I want to look at an extremely practical message of how you can grow spiritually. How many of you would like to grow spiritually? To move further along the continuum, you may be here today, you may be here, but wherever you are, my prayer is that you'll move this way, that way. You won't stagnate, you certainly won't go backwards. So I want you to look at the first scripture, Ephesians 3.16, on your outline and on the screen. And this is my prayer for you and the basis for this entire message. I pray from His glorious, unlimited resources, isn't that magnanimous? God will give you mighty inner, here it is, strength. And by the way, that word strength there, it's the opposite of discouragement. That you would not be discouraged, but you'd be strong in the Lord through His Holy Spirit. So here's the question. Let me ask you one more time to be real clear. Do you really want to be stronger spiritually by the end of this year? Yes or no? If that is true, I want to give you a fact. You will not grow stronger spiritually by accident. It won't just, whoa, look what happened, I grew. No, you grow by intention. You may want to write that down. It's a very important point. 
And today I'm going to look so you grow by, spiritually by intention. Today I'm going to look at the life of a particularly colourful character to draw some of our lessons from. And this man's life, this man was called Samson. And we're going to see both the sources of his strength and the sources of his weaknesses in his life. Now if you have a Bible and if you're a Christian, I would highly encourage you to bring your Bibles. Because the Bible says that we were able to accurately handle the Word of God. So you should be familiar with driving and getting around your Bible. So here it is. I'm going to pick it up from Judges 13. The story of Samson is from 13, and it's about four chapters. Judges 13. um, Genesis 6, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, seventh book of the Bible. So it starts, I'm going to start today with three attitudes which will weaken your spirit. Who wants to be weak in the spirit? Who wants to be weak physically? Nobody, not in the right mind. So I'm gonna start off with the three things that are gonna weaken you, guaranteed. And you're gonna see these in the life of Samson. Now physically, Samson was a Rambo, but spiritually, he was a weakling. He was a peewee. He had everything going for him. He had lots of talent. He had good looks and he had ability. And God blessed him in every way. And by the way, there's a point there. You can have a whole bunch of blessings, but you can end up screwing up your life. It's how you use those blessings. One day though, even in spite of all his blessings, all the things that were going for him, listen to me young people, in spite of all the things that were going for him, one day he lost it all. And he woke up, And all of his strength was gone and he was a broken man. Hmm. And I don't want that to happen to any one of you. I don't want someday, even this year later on, for you to wake up and say, feel like all my spiritual strength is gone. I'm not the man or the woman I used to be. What happened? Well, what happened with Samson is that he chose a lifestyle that sapped his spiritual strength. Let me just say that again slowly. Samson chose a lifestyle that sapped his spiritual strength. He chose. And this is a very practical message that we're starting off quarter two with. Samson fell into three fatal traps that you and I can easily fall for. Your children, your grandchildren can easily fall for. So you might want to write these down. The first trap that will absolutely weaken your spirit is self-indulgence. Self-indulgence. Write that in. And you'll see a good example of this from Judges 14, verse 1 through 20. Because Samson lived a very self-indulgent, egocentric life. It was all about him. He was very undisciplined, Samson was. He lived only for his feelings. And his biggest weakness, of course, was women, women, and women. Three different women in three different chapters. You read it. And he kept running into relationships and he kept running out of relationships. And in chapter 14, first, 
verse 3. Samson basically says it this way. He's talking to his parents. Hey, I've seen some bird. And boy, she's hot. I want her. He says to the parents, I want her. She looks good. She, her, her looks please me. Get her. She wasn't the woman though that God had for him, but he said, she looks good. Get her. Now let me take a quick diversion here. Let me be real clear because there's some weird thinking around this area. Really weird. Let me just say it simply. Sex is good. Because sex is God's idea. And there's nothing wrong with sex. Any idea that tells you that is not from God. But the point is that even good things can become harmful in the wrong context and when they're out of control. For example, food, nothing wrong with food. But if it's out of control, it's called what? Gluttony. Sometimes I always used to watch this at, uh, in, in some of my previous companies. I used to watch with intrigue and stand back at the table when we had like a buffet and just watch some of my managers to see if they were the first with the plates in line and they were feeding their, their appetite. Yeah, but it was, more, it was far deeper than that. I watched who rushed to the table, pushing other people virtually out the way, made sure they were always first in line. It told me something. Money, there's nothing wrong with money, but out of control, at pursuit of that, the Bible says the, the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money, nothing wrong with money. Sex, nothing wrong with sex. But out of the wrong context, it's wrong. And let me put what that context is. Within marriage. And that marriage is between one man and one woman. Because that's what the Bible says. Sleep, nothing wrong with sleep. Out of control, you become lazy. Very lazy. Ambition, nothing wrong with ambition. But unbridled ambition will kill you and kill the relationships around you. Who are you? Well, that's what you're my husband. So anything out of control, and often to the nth degree, will weaken you. So the first trap that weakens your spirit is when people make decisions based upon pleasure rather than principle. When they make decisions based on convenience, oh, that's inconvenient, so I'll just do the thing that's convenient rather than conviction. See, sometimes I know the right thing to do, but it's not particularly convenient. Anybody found that? Strong men and women base their decisions on conviction rather than convenience. Now, Samson sees a woman. He doesn't find out whether this is a woman who's going to strengthen his spirit and add value there, or if she's going to tear him down spiritually. He just says, she's a looker. She pleases me. I want her. So Samson ignores God's plans and follows his glands. Simple as that. Does that sound vaguely familiar to you in this culture? The culture that we live in values, well, if it feels good, just do it. And whatever you feel like doing, you ought to do. The point is that any time that you are undisciplined, it's going to weaken your spirit and that will eventually catch up with you. The Bible says it this way. Don't be misled. Remember, you can't ignore God and get away with it. A man will always reap just the kind of crop that he sows. 
if he sows to please his own wrong desires, he will be planting seeds of evil and will surely reap a harvest. Now listen, the harvest of spiritual decay. Now we have all sorts of different professions here, but one of the professions that's represented sitting here right today is dentistry. Now, when you go to the dentist, and you know, it's like open your mouth, and all of a sudden, ow, that hurts. You don't want to jump too much because you don't want to sort of tell him there's a hole there, but he knows that. Now, he could just ignore that, and it's going to cost you in the end, possibly as bad as a root canal or worse. When you see decay, you need to dig it out, or it just gets worse. It doesn't get better by itself. By the way, the scripture I'm reading from is Galatians 6, 7 through 8. Oh, you've even got it there. Great. So I want you to write this down on your outline. So to be strong, I must discipline my desires. Desires can be good, but they must be disciplined. The Bible says it like this. Strengthen, here's that strong, that built strong thought. Strengthen yourself, how? With Christ's way of thinking. Live your lives controlled by God's will, not by human desires. Powerful scripture. What's he saying here? Just because I want something does not mean to say I should have it. Just because everybody's doing it doesn't mean to say that I have to do it. So I need, first step, I need to avoid the trap of self-indulgence. I owe it to myself. The second trap that Samson fell into that caused him to lose his strength, and this is a very common one, is resentment. Resentment weakens my spirit. And you'll see this in Judges, the next chapter, verses 15, excuse me, chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. Samson lived his life in a continual state of disappointment, of anger, of resentment and bitterness. He was an angry man. He felt misunderstood. He felt disappointed. And he reacts violently to everything. And his primary motivation, if you read that, I've read that three, four, five, six, seven times this week. His primary motivation was to get even. Well, you did this, so I'm going to do that. He had a victim mentality. You know what that is? Do you have that? That's the attitude that everybody's against me. And you're a victim of the world. If you have that type of mentality, it will weaken your spirit. One time, Samson actually killed 30 men just to get even on a bet. You read it. And his excuse for that was, well, they talked to my wife and gave away the riddle. So I'll fix them. So who has hurt you? And you're still holding on to that hurt. You need, whoever that is, you need to let it go because resentment will sap your strength and it will shrivel your spirit. And if you're going to be spiritually strong, you not only have to avoid self-indulgence by disciplining your desires. Secondly, you have to avoid resentment because here's the point. All of us in this room get hurt. Every single one of us. You cannot live in a broken world and not be hurt by what people say, think, or do. Now, Samson's second mistake is this. He reacts instead of acts. 
And resentment is always self-defeating. It always hurts you more than it hurts the other person. I've said many times, it's like turning a shotgun round with a barrel pointing towards me and the butt pointing towards you, pulling the trigger, hoping that the butt's going to hurt you. That's as stupid as that. You say, that's a bit harsh here. Actually, no, I'm just saying what the Bible says. Look at this. To worry yourself to death with resentment would be a foolish and senseless, some versions say stupid, stupid thing to do. God's word to you is don't be stupid. Drop the resentment. Plain and simple. Then it carries on. The Bible says anytime I get resentful and a whole of grudge, I am a fool. It says you're only hurting yourself with your anger. Job 18.4. You're hurting yourself. So Samson lost his spiritual strength because, not just because of self-indulgence, but because he never managed his anger and he never learned to let it go. He didn't learn to forgive and let it go. And Jesus says to you, freely, freely, has it been given to you, freely give that to others. Whether they accept it or not is none of your business. That's between them. They can live with that. You just need to do what's right. So you may want to write this down. To be strong, I must control my reactions. I must control my reactions. Do you know this? I want to tell you a secret. Nobody can make you mad without your permission. You know, oh, you made me so mad. Can you see the problem with that straight away? They've got control over you. No, when I'm controlled, you don't get that opportunity because I'm choosing. You don't get that. Not only do I have to discipline my desire, I have to learn to control my actions. The Bible says it this way in Proverbs 25, 28, which I don't think I put in your outline. But listen to this. A man without self-control is as defenceless as a city with broken down walls. You can just be had for the taking. You can be goaded and then you've lost it. That's what the Bible says. And then again, Proverbs 29, 8, 8, 11. A fool gives full vent to his anger. But that's the, the dumb thing to do. Look at the opposite side of this. But a wise man keeps himself under control. Parents, teach that to your children. Parents, model that when you attack. If your voice is going up in pitch and volume, you're starting to lose it. Bring it down in volume and tone. So Samson fell into the third trap. His first self-indulgence. He was very self-indulgent. Second, resentment towards somebody who's hurt you in the past. And then third, this is a good one, a doozy. He was careless. Carelessness will weaken my spirit. Carelessness. And you'll see this in the next chapter, Judges 16, 1 through 20. Basically, his attitude says, ah, it'll be different for me. Oh, I'll be all right. She'll be right. Samson becomes careless and he does not guard his heart by falling for a woman who is completely wrong for him. And any time you get careless with your time, you are heading in the wrong direction. Anytime you get careless with your health, you are heading in the wrong direction because God says, look after that body, look after that temple which I gave you. Anytime that you get careless with your money, you are heading in the wrong direction. 
Anytime you get, and boy, this is a, a, a good one. Anytime you get careless with your words, anybody ever said something that you wish you could take back? Oh, especially in relationships. Because you can't take them back. They've been said. So be careful. Careful, careless. Full of care, no less care. So anytime, this is an important one too, anytime you get careless with your commitments, careless with your commitments. In other words, you make a commitment, then ah, she'll be right. You don't keep them. You are weakening your spirit. The Bible says if you make a vow, fulfill it. Follow through. Don't be a flake. Christians are solid who deliver on what they say. Now, Samson had an amazing strength and his strength was actually an amazing gift from God. And that's because Samson made what we call a Nazarite vow to live holy before the Lord. And in those days, to live holy before the Lord, you commit yourself 100% to God, you would commit no alcohol, you did a special diet and you'd never cut your hair as a symbol, just a symbol of your commitment to God. But Samson was very careless with his vow because he continually compromised his commitment out of convenience. And he toyed with temptation. He toyed with it. His attitude was not how close to God can I get, but instead it was how close to the fire can I get without getting burnt. That was his attitude. And a lot of people live their lives that way. They go, you know, I know I'm a Christian and I know this is wrong, but I wonder how much I can get to do and not really get burnt. That's the attitude. Now in Judges 16, I just want to summarise this a little bit. Delilah, who is a third woman, is hired by Samson's enemies for 5,500 pieces of silver. The enemies got together, there was a gang of them, there's five of them actually, and, and they hailed from Gaza today. Exactly, that's where they were, in Gaza, down there, bottom part of Israel, right down there. Five of them, each of them offered 1,100 pieces of silver each to find out the secret of Samson's strength and to overcome him. Now, Delilah, being Samson's girlfriend, Samson already knew, here's the deal, he knew what she was up to. But he's toys with her. He flirts with this idea, thinking, I'm strong enough, I can take this. The first time Delilah says, oh honey, please tell me what the secret of your strength is. And of course, he spins her a good one. He says, well, if you, if you tie me up with seven brand new bowstrings, brand new, well, you'll have me. I'll be as weak as any mortal. So what does he do? He goes to bed that night. That man must have slept like a log. Or he must have been going, oh yeah, right, tired, a bit tighter. Because he wakes up the next morning and guess what? He's got seven bowstrings tying him up. You go, about that stage, duh. Something should be telling you something's wrong here, right? So he immediately just busts out of those. Well, it wasn't that. Can you believe this? So second time, he still thinks, oh, I'll just keep playing with this woman. Same deal. Oh, honey, you made a fool of me last night because the other guys, the enemies, were just outside in another room. Please tell me, what's the secret of this Well, just tie me up with seven, seven new ropes. And then, you know, I'll be as weak as any other man. And of course, what does he do in the morning? Wakes up and there are seven new ropes tying him up. Oh, my goodness. This man has lost all rational sense. 
She needs to be drop kicked out of the door. So he's toying with temptation. He's playing with fire, but he's enjoying it, thinking I can handle this. He's flirting with sin. Next night, Delilah says, honey, because of course she's getting paid and these guys are probably getting pretty antsy by now. You're really embarrassing me. You're making me look bad. I mean, she's really blatant. She's caring more about the 5,500 pieces of silver than the love for Samson. Quote or care. Bunch of rubbish. She was a cold, hard, calculating piece of work. But he doesn't care again. And this says, look, if you braid my hair, now notice he's getting closer to the truth. Gradual. If you braid my hair, I'll lose my strength. And let me just stop right there. What are you flirting with? Is it the girl in the office? Or the guy down the hall? What do you know in your life is flat out wrong and you're still doing it? Is it pornography? You know it's wrong. No debate. But you're still doing it. I'm strong enough. Let me tell you, pornography is an addiction and you need to get help with that. We can help you with that. How about something else? Are you cheating on your taxes? Good time to talk about that. We've just crossed over a financial year. Are you shading the truth? What are you flirting with thinking, ah, the idea will never catch me? Yeah, but God knows. It'll weaken your spirit. Again, very importantly, is it somebody at work that you kind of sense there's some chemistry developing and you know it's wrong? And you can say, I can handle this. I've got this. I can get away with it. Let me tell you, if you're in that frame of thinking, you have already been set up for a fall. It's only a matter of time. Satan has already seduced you and he's already lied to you and you bought the lie. Don't have a bar of it. When the enemy sticks his nose in the door, you boot him cleaner than snars. Get him out of there. Don't give him a millimetre. A thought comes in, get out. You've got to be aggressive with your thoughts. In the right sense of the word. Don't just, I've said this before, don't believe every thought that comes into your own head. Check it against God's word. Because we can lie to ourselves. We're very good at it. So Judges 16, verse 15 through 16, he's careless once too often. And he becomes so weakened from compromise after compromise, he finally tells her, well, if you cut my hair, then I'll lose my strength. Let me just say this. He was wrong when he said, it will be different for me. I can handle it. But you know what I've noticed? Nobody ever plans to fail spiritually. It just begins with small slippages. I start to let things slide and then one day wake up thinking, why do I sense no longer the presence of God in my life? And all of a sudden, a person may have lost their credibility, they may have lost their reputation, they may have lost their position, they may have lost their finances, they may have lost their children. We become irrational sometimes. 
The fact is, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Agreed? So what's your weakest link? You are only as strong as what you are committed to. And if you're chipping away at that commitment, you're getting weaker and weaker every day. The Bible says it this way, when it comes to words, same principle as to deeds. You will have to live with the consequences of everything you say and many other verses say, and the consequences of everything you do. What I reap, I sow. So before we get to the solution, I want to ask you again, this is an opportunity to do a self-checkup with the Holy Spirit's help. What is the weak link in your life? Is it self-indulgence in some area? Is it carelessness in some area? Or maybe it's resentment against someone and you just will not let it go. Friends, you're allowing slippages if in, the, in that area if you say I can handle it. You're being set up for failure. And the second question I want to ask is this. And this is, a, this is where the rubber meets the road. Because the Bible says it's not just the hearers, but the doers. When are you going to do something about those slippages? When? So the solution. I want to move now to that. We're pointing out the three areas, three traps he fell into. The solution. I must develop to become spiritually strong. I must develop good habits. You and I are a sum total, our character is a sum total of our good habits or our habits. If I am habitually kind, then I am a kind character. If I'm habitually, repeatedly angry, then I'm an angry character. Do you get what I'm saying? If I'm repeatedly honest, then I'm an honest character. I want to close with three habits that will change your spiritual life. And men and women of God who have been used in history have developed these three habits. If you'll develop these habits, you'll build a strong spirit. I want to kick off by this verse in Ephesians 6.10. It says this, build up your strength. Now that's something you do. You build up your strength. That's what it says. In union... How do you do that? In union with the Lord by means of His mighty power. So you have a part to building up your strength and God has a part. God says you build up your strength by being in union with Christ, then He puts His power in you. The Bible says that famous verse in 1 Timothy 4, 7, take the time and effort to keep yourself spiritually fit. I love that verse. You may want to write that one down. 1 Timothy 4, 7. Take the time and the trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit. You know, it's the same in the physical sense. I'd love to be fit automatically. If I don't play squash regularly, I'm sucking air after, you know, playing a reasonable competition. You've got to keep yourself fit or you become weaker. So how does that happen? Three ways. You may want to write these down. Three habits that will strengthen my spirit. Number one is get time with God every day. Has that been slipping? Every day of your life. Now, if you're not doing that, you're actually growing, not growing spiritually, and you're therefore getting weaker. You're atrophying. 
We call this a daily quiet time. And we talk about this in class 201. It's a time where you read the Bible and you pray and you be quiet. Probably the one time in your day where there's no noise. Now each of these habits, I'm gonna quickly give you a reason, a routine and a result. And we're gonna go through these very quickly as we wrap this up. The first, the reason why I should have a daily quiet time. Well, the Bible says here in Psalm 25 verse four, show me the path where I should go, O Lord. Point out the right road for me to walk. Boy, some of you are crying out right now for direction. The first place you need to go is to a quiet time with God. You need a daily quiet time for guidance. If you're not having a daily quiet time, you're out there on your own. Like, I don't know where I am. I don't know where I'm going. So I can't put my, what's the point in putting the energy into something when I don't even know where I'm going, where the directions in my life? You're you're going your own way and you're going at your own pace. You're doing your own direction because you're not getting daily guidance from God. And the reason, that's the reason to get guidance from God. Now, what's the routine to get alone by yourself? Well, Luke 5, 16 says this, Jesus often, there it is, He often, what's that? That's a habit, something you do repeatedly. Jesus often, that was His habit, withdrew to a lonely place. He wasn't with a whole bunch of people, He was by Himself. And He prayed So you get in a place where you can be alone with God and be quiet and you pray and you read the Bible. Now, what's the result? The Bible says this, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. Now, let's do it again. If you remain in me, read the whole context of this, by the way, and my words remain in you, that's a quiet time, then you may ask anything you wish and you shall have it. Now, let me put a bit of context around that. Effective prayer is based upon Christ's words increasingly conditioning our minds so that our prayers will conform to the will of the Father. Now, when that happens, when we pray according to the will of the Father, it will be done. When our prayers align with God's will, the results are certain. It will be given to you. That's not a magic genie verse. Now, did you know that one of the keys to answering prayer, um, answer prayer is to spend time alone with God? And perhaps the number one, that could be the number one habit that you need to develop for the rest of 2015. Maybe that's the one for you. Even if it starts at five minutes and then gets to 10 and eventually 15, you get time to listen to God through His Word and you talk to Him in prayer. That's how you communicate. So that's the number one habit for spiritual strength. But some of you know today that you're not doing that. See, relationships to grow need time. I mentioned to you before that when I first met my girlfriend, I said, hi, Kimberly, my name's Ian. Nice to meet you. What college do you go to? Would you mind if we went out? Now, 33 years later, or 32, my wife will correct me later on. Imagine if one day I came and said, hi, my name's Ian. (laughs) I wonder if you'd noticed I feel something different for you. Would you mind if we go out? She'd think, what? 
the relationship should have grown in that period and the language would have changed over time. As the relationship develops, the language changes. Here's number two. Second habit, get together with believers every week. If you're going to be spiritually strong, if you want to be spiritually strong, you need to get together with believers every week. We call this a weekly small group for fellowship with us. Here's the reason. Here's the reason. Spelt out in Hebrews 10. Let us not give up the habit that's regular of meeting together. Instead, let's encourage each other. Christianity is not a solo act. It involves the family. What's the routine? Well, here's the routine. It tells us they meet day after day in temple courts. That's large group worship like we are here today. And secondly, from house to house. See it? Temple courts and house to house. That's small group fellowship. You need both to be spiritually strong. That's what the disciples did. Right now you're in the temple courts, you're in a large group celebration for worship. That's great, but you also need small group fellowship. What's the result? Here it is. Two are better off than one because together they are more effective. Anybody want to be more effective? There it is there. If one falls down, the other can help them up. Now there are going to be times in your life when you need somebody else to help you and to be there for you. Question, who would you show up for? If they had a disaster, does anybody know they can count upon you to show up? So you need a daily time with God and you need a weekly team with God. And there's one other habit that every great saint and spiritually strong person has done that. It's not just to get a time with God every day and to get together every day with other believers. It's to give a tithe to God every weekend. Tithing is the habit of returning the first 10% of my income back to God. I give the first part of my dollars on the first part of the week. And Jesus says, uh, it's saying, Jesus, you're number one in my life. You're first in my life. It's a symbol to say that he's really number one. The first of my, part of my money goes on the first day of the week as an act of worship. And here's the reason. Wherever your treasure is, your heart will be there also. And then secondly, here in Deuteronomy 14, the purpose or the reason for tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your life. There it is. Question, is God first in your life? If it is, does your money show that? Does your giving show that? Speaking of which, next week, the um, the offering receipts for the IRD will be here next week for you. Does that show that? Is missions on your heart or is the biggest mission on your life your own world? Does it show, is there an alignment between what you say and what you do, what I say and what I do? For Kimberly and I, I have done this since I was at high school. And all I can tell you now is as I move along in life, and I'm probably about here, my desire and my wife's desire is to increase the amount of giving that we give. That's our desire. What's yours? Is it the bare minimum you can get away with? That's between you and God. But the Bible says the purpose of tithing is to teach you to put God first. 
See, we give because God, we love God and we want to obey Him. And because He's been so generous to us, is that not the case? And when we lay up treasure in heaven, they pay rich dividends for all eternity. What's the routine? Well, here it is. How do I develop this habit of giving in a weekend? The Bible tells us here. Here it is here. 1 Corinthians 16. On the first day of every week, I used to give my offering once a month. But when I read that one day, it said, oh, no. So if I gave that much in a month, because that's what I used to, used to get paid, what I do is now chop it up into four. And I did it weekly. I just take my thing and chop it accordingly. It says, on the first day of every week, set aside some of what you've earned, some of what you earned, and give it as an offering. Now some, the amount depends upon how much the Lord has helped you in. It's simple. That's called proportional giving. I noticed though that the Lord noticed even the widow, the poor widow who had nothing. And she gave the widow's might. The Lord noticed that. The Lord knows where every one of us are and every one of us is different. I'm not responsible for you and you're certainly not responsible for me. But I am responsible to do something with what I've got. God doesn't need anything that we can bring to him. But when we obey his word and bring our gifts, it's an act of worship with grateful hearts. It pleases him. What's the result? Bring your whole tithe into my storehouse. Test me on this, says the Lord, and see if I won't throw up the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you won't have enough room to contain it. People who lovingly give tithes and offerings to God find that whatever's left over goes much further much further, and get a greater blessing. So here's the question. Which, which of these three weaknesses that we started with are you most likely to fall into? And which of the three habits do you need to, A, start or develop this year? I know when you go to be spiritually fit, you go to the gym and you may pick up something quite light, maybe a 10 kilogram weight, and that seems like a tonne. And then you build on that to maybe 12 and a half and then up to 15 or 20 or whatever it may be. But you start somewhere and you develop that. Are you being tempted by self-indulgence and you know that you're giving into that area? Or is there an area of resentment that's weakening your spiritual life? Or is there an area of carelessness that you've just gotten a little too careless about? Now, I don't know what it is, but you do and the Holy Spirit does. And that's all that matters. And God is telling you, whatever it is, you need to work on that. You need to strengthen it right now. How do I strengthen it? By developing these three habits. I want to share with you a life verse which I, I just dearly love. It says, my brothers, stand firm. That means be strong. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Be immovable. Be resolute in your commitment to the habits that you know will bless the Lord. Always give yourself fully, not half-heartedly, not when it's convenient, when I can fit it in with my time. Actually, if you're ever having that conversation, you possibly should say, God, am I doing some things wrong here? Because I know that I want you to be first in my life and that's got to have an expression. That's got to show up on my calendar where I'm helping move your church forward. So always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. So here's my challenge to you today and everybody else who's listening. Let's all commit this weekend 
to all of these three habits all year long and see how much stronger we are by the end of this year. I said at the beginning, spiritual strength is not accidental. It is a result of choices. And we make habits and we develop those habits. I developed these habits and they brought spiritual strength to me to last the distance. And I'm thankful to God for that. And I challenge you to do them too. Let me read again this verse from Ephesians 6 and we'll close. Build up your strength. Build up your strength in union with the Lord and by means of His mighty power. Let's close with a word of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Friends, as we close today, would you pray this prayer? Father, I don't want to be a spiritually, I don't want to be spiritually anemic. I want to be stronger by the end of this year, not weaker. I want to be closer to you, not further away. Why don't you just tell God, God, I I don't want to live a mediocre life. I want to be spiritually strong, standing firm and resolute. I want to be a strong woman of God. I want to be a strong man of God. And I want to start down that path today. Then why don't you say in your mind, say, dear God, help me to discipline my desires and not to give in to self-indulgence. Help me to discipline my life and my desires. Help me to control my reactions and not to give in to resentment and bitterness. Help me to just forgive, Lord. Let it go. Father, today, and name that person and say, let them go today. Then say, help me not to give in to carelessness but to develop good habits. Father, I make a commitment to You today that as best as I know how, I want to have a daily time with You, a daily quiet time. Every day in 2015, including Sunday. And I want to get together with other believers every week in a small group. And I want to give back to you what's yours. I want to return the first portion of my money to you. So that, Lord, I can say with full integrity, these three areas that represent my time, my money, and my relationships, that they're under your control. They're under your Lordship. Today, if you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, Would you say, Jesus Christ, make yourself real to me. Come into my life, Lord. Forgive me for my sin. I pray this humbly in the powerful, enduring and awesome name of Jesus Christ. And all the people said,